Section 39 of the Cambridge Modern History, Volume 1, The Renaissance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Murphy, Richmond, Virginia. Chapter 12, Part 1, France, by Stanley Leiths. Four reigns almost fill up the space of time from Agincourt to Marigiano. In that century, the slow, consistent policy of four kings and their agents raises France from her nadir almost to her zenith. The institutions and the prosperity built up by Louis the Fat, Philip Augustus, Louis the Ninth, and Philip the Fair had been shattered under the first two volleys. The prosperity had been in part restored institutions further developed under charles v in the long anarchy which we call the reign of charles the sixth all bonds had been loosened all well-being blighted all order overwhelmed slowly the old traditions reassert themselves the old principles resume their domination and from chaos emerges the new monarchy with all and more than all the powers of the old communal feudal representative institutions have proved too weak to withstand the stress of foreign and civil war the monarchy and the monarchy system alone retain their vitality unimpaired and seem to acquire new vigor from misfortune under charles the seventh the new regime was begun under louis the eleventh and his daughter the ground was ruthlessly cleared of all that could impede regal action at home while the wars of charles the eighth and louis the twelfth purposeless and exhausting as they were without seriously diminishing domestic prosperity satisfactorily tested the strength and solidity of the new structure thus equipped and prepared france enters on the race of modern times as the most compact harmonious united nation of the european continent all that she has suffered is forgotten the sacrifice of individual and local liberty is hardly felt in the splendor and power of the monarchy the nation sees its aspirations realized nobility clergy commons abandon their old ideals and are content that their will should be expressed their being absorbed their energy manifested in the will and being and operations of the king institutions of independent origin give up their strength to feed his power and exist if at all only by his sufferance time had been when clergy nobility even towns had been powers in the state with which the king needed to reckon not as a sovereign hardly as a superior before the french church two of these powers had been yoked in complete submission and the third was far on the way to final subjugation critical in all respects the period of charles the seventh and his three successors was not least so in respect of the king's relations with the church and the papacy the conciliar movement fruitless on the whole had an important effect in france it initiated a fresh stage in the struggle between church and state in france and for a time gallican liberties were conceived as something different from the authority of the french king over the french church and especially over her patronage from the beginning the king played a conspicuous part and in the end he succeeded in seizing the chief share of all that was won from the pope but at first he assumed the air of an impartial and sovereign arbiter between council and pope in fourteen thirty eight the majority of the council of basil were in open rupture with the pope eugenius the fourth charles the seventh while negotiating on the one hand with the fathers of the council 
and on the other with the pope had outwardly maintaining his obedience to eugenius was careful to preserve his liberty of action in the same year a deputation of the council waited upon charles and communicated to him the text of the decrees of reform adopted up to that time by the fathers the king called an assembly of the clergy of his kingdom to meet at bourges where together with himself and a considerable number of his chief counsellors ambassadors of pope and council were present the result was the royal ordinance issued on july seventh fourteen thirty eight and known as the pragmatic sanction of bourges in this solemn edict issued by the sovereign authority of the prince but supported by the consent and advice of the august assembly which he had summoned more of conciliar spirit is observable than of royal ambition the superiority of the council to the pope was acknowledged in matters touching the faith the expectation of schism and the reform of the church in head and members decennial councils were demanded election by the chapter or the convent was to be the rule for higher ecclesiastical dignities but the king and the magnates were not debarred from recommending candidates for election the general right of papal reservation was abolished and a strict limit placed on the cases in which it was permissible no benefice was to be conferred by the pope before vacancy under the form known as expectative grace provisions were made in favor of university graduates in every cathedral church one prebend was to be given on the earliest opportunity to a graduate in theology who was bound to lecture at least once a week furthermore in every cathedral or collegiate church one-third of the prebends were to be reserved for suitable graduates and the same principle was to obtain in the collation of other ecclesiastical benefices graduates were also to be entitled to a special preference in urban parish churches no appeals or evocation of causes to rome were to be allowed until the grades of jurisdiction had been exhausted moreover where the party should be distant more than four days journey from the curia all ordinary cases were to be judged by those judges in partibus to whom they belonged by custom and right the decree of the council limiting the number of cardinals to twenty-four was approved annats were abolished with a small reservation in favor of the existing pope a number of edicts of the council relating to the order of divine service and the discipline of the clergy were confirmed the decrees of the council accepted without modification were to be put in force immediately within the kingdom and the assent of the council was to be solicited where modifications had been introduced these purport to have been the decisions of the council of bourges and the king at his request ordered that they should be obeyed throughout the kingdom and in dauphine and enforced by the royal courts yet republican as is the constitution of the church as sanctioned at basel and bourges it must be noticed that the sovereign authority of the king is expressly invoked by the council of bourges as necessary to secure execution of the reforms proposed and in so far the church of france is subordinated to the state and the ultimate issue of these developments foreshadowed the usurpation of authority is patent and forgery was needed to support it few now believe in the pragmatic sanction of st louis which seems first to have seen the light after fourteen thirty eight on the other hand the freedom of election conferred meant little more than the freedom to entertain recommendations from the king and other great personages for the conflict of intrigue at the court of rome was substituted a conflict of influence within the kingdom 
and the share of patronage obtained in this by the king was not destined long to satisfy him the position of the clergy and people was so far improved that the drain of treasure from france to rome caused not only by the annates but also in great measure by the receipts of non-resident beneficiaries by the fees incident to litigation at rome and by the presents required from suitors and petitioners for favor was under the pragmatic greatly diminished but the abuses in the church due to the holding of benefices in plurality were not directly touched by the decree the holding of abbeys and priories in Camidam, so detrimental to the discipline of the religious orders remained unaffected the university received considerable privileges and the power of the parliament over the church was greatly increased charles the seventh though consistent in supporting eugenius against the council's anti-pope as steadily maintained the pragmatic against the repeated protest of successive popes and a very liberal concordat offered by eugenius for some reason never came into effect the king did not however always respect the liberty of election which he had restored to the church and we even find him approaching the pope to solicit his nomination for certain benefices louis on his accession went further it was said that during his exile at genappe he had promised to abolish the pragmatic sanction no doubt he hoped in cooperation with a friendly pope to secure more complete control over the appointment to prelacies than was possible under the system of elections established by the sanction he hoped at the same time by making a favor of the repeal to secure the pope's support for the angevin claims on naples against ferrante accordingly toward the end of fourteen sixty one the pope was in possession of his formal promise to abolish the obnoxious edict and the parliament was forced to register the letter of abolition as a royal ordinance but the pope was too deeply pledged to ferrante and saw too clearly the danger of french intervention in naples john of calabria the representative of the angevin claims met an open enemy in pius the second neither did louis find that promotion in france proceeded entirely according to his wishes thus from fourteen sixty three an anonymous situation prevailed the pragmatic was not formally restored but a series of edicts were passed against the oppression and exactations of papal agents against those who applied at rome for expectative graces or the gifts of prelacies against papal jurisdiction in questions relating to the possession of benefices and against the export of treasure in fourteen seventy two a concordat was arranged between louis and sixtus the fourth for the division of patronage between the ordinary and the pope and to regulate other matters of dispute but hardly any attempt seems to have been made to carry this agreement into effect on the whole the policy of louis seems to have been to keep the whole question open to resist as far as possible the export of treasure to discourage the independent exercise by the pope of his power to provide for prelacies to oppose reservations and expected of graces to keep the jurisdiction in question of prelacies and benefices in the hands of the royal judges and thus sometimes by suggestion at the court of rome sometimes by election under pressure sometimes by the means of the king's influence on the parliament and other courts and not infrequently by the blunt use of force to retain all important ecclesiastical patronage at his own disposal 
and this without any acute breach within rome or with the galilean clergy his means were various and even inconsistent but his general policy is clear the great estates of tours in fourteen eighty four showed the trend of feeling both lay and ecclesiastical the estate of the church demanded the restitution of the pragmatic sanction and the third estate speaks feelingly of the evacuation de pecune resulting from the papal exactions and prays for reform the bishops indeed protested in defence of the authority of the holy see but the king's council took no decisive step the old confusion continued it was impossible to say whether the pragmatic was or was not in force for louis the twelfth on his accession confirmed the pragmatic and the parliament as before seized every opportunity to enforce it by its decisions but so long as the king and the pope were on good terms no serious question arose for amboise held continuously the office of legate for france and was in effect a provincial pope julius promised to nominate to prelacies in france only titularies approved by the king after the breach between louis and julius the kingdom was in open disobedience and the law was silent it was left for francis i and leo x to put aside the principle of free election so long defended by parliament and clergy and to agree upon a division of the spoils which ignored the liberties of the galilean church while conferring exceptional privileges on the king of france the result was the concordat of fifteen sixteen elections were abolished the king was to nominate to metropolitan and cathedral churches to abbeys and conventual priories and if certain rules were observed the papal confirmation would not be refused reservations and expected of graces were abolished the third of benefices was still reserved to university graduates the regular degrees of jurisdiction were to be respected unless in cases of exceptional importance by implication though not by open stipulation annats were retained the lateran council accepted this agreement the pragmatic was finally condemned although the parliament and the university of paris protested energetically resistance was in vain no power in france could withstand this alliance of king and pope by which the material ends of each were secured without any conspicuous tenderness being shown for the spiritual interest of the church during the same period the proud independence of the university of paris was successfully attacked in fourteen thirty seven the exemption from taxation claimed for its numerous dependents was abolished in fourteen forty six it was first made subject to the jurisdiction of the parliament in fourteen fifty two the cardinal of estoville acting in concert with the king and the king's parliament opposed upon it a scheme of reformation and its independence of secular jurisdiction was at an end under louis the twelfth the old threat of cessation of public exercises was used in resistance to royal proposals of reform the scholars soon found that the king was master and were like the rest of the kingdom obliged to submit the condemnation of the nominalists by louis the eleventh is a grotesque but striking proof that even the republic of letters was no longer exempt from the interference of an alien authority the church whose independence was thus impaired by progressive encroachments could not claim that its privileges were deserved by virtues efficiency or discipline plurality non-residence immorality 
neglect of duty worldliness disobedience to rule were common in france as elsewhere ambois did something for reform in the franciscan dominican and benedictine orders but far more was needed to effect a cure unfortunately the concordat of francis i tended rather to stimulate the worldly ambitions and interests of the higher clergy than to aid or encourage any royal attempts in the direction of reform passing to those secular authorities that were in a position to refuse obedience to the king we have first to notice the appanaged and other nobility of princely rank the successful wars of fourteen forty nine to fifty three drove the english from the limits of france extinguished the duchy of aquitaine and left only calais and guine to the foreigner the english claims were still kept alive but the only serious invasion that of fourteen seventy five broke down owing to the failure of cooperation on the part of burgundy the duchy of aquitaine was revived by louis the eleventh as a temporary expedient from fourteen sixty nine to seventy two to satisfy the petulant ambition of his brother while separating him by the widest possible interval from his ally of burgundy on the death of charles of aquitaine the duchy was reoccupied but during the english wars a power had arisen in the east which menaced the very existence of the monarchy in pursuance of that policy of granting as cheated or conquered provinces as appanages to the younger members of the royal house which facilitated the transition from earlier feudal independence to direct royal government john had in thirteen sixty three granted the duchy of burgundy to his son philip and the gift had been confirmed by charles v by marriage this enterprising family added to their dominions flanders artois the county of burgundy nevers and bethel brabant and limburg by purchase namur and luxembourg and mainly by conquest Hainault, holland and zealand enriched by the wealth of the low countries fortified by the military resources of so many provinces animated against the house of france by the murder of his father in fourteen nineteen released from his oath of allegiance and further fortified by the cession of the frontier fortresses along the somme by the treaty of arras in fourteen thirty five during thirty years after the conclusion of that treaty philip the good fourteen nineteen to sixty seven had been content to maintain a perfect independence and to gather his strength in peace then as the old man's strength failed his son's opportunity came enraged that louis had been allowed in fourteen sixty three to repurchase the towns on the somme under the terms of their original session charles the bold contracted a league with the discontented princes and nobles of france and in fourteen sixty five invaded the kingdom and with his allies invested paris the treaties of saint maur de faux and conflans dissolved the league of the public weal but restored to burgundy the somme towns and established charles of france in the rich appanage of normandy then in four campaigns liege and other cities of her principality which in reliance on french support have braved the power of burgundy were brought low and in fourteen sixty eight the episcopal city was destroyed in the forced presence of the king of france meanwhile in fourteen sixty seven charles the bold succeeded to the duchy whose policy he had controlled for two years and in fourteen sixty eight he married the sister of edward the fourth 
the hereditary enemy of france the fortunes of charles of burgundy perhaps never stood higher than at the fall of liege louis the eleventh his prisoner at peronne had been forced to promise champagne to charles of france the ally of burgundy which would have made a convenient link between the northern and the southern dominions of charles the bold but in the war of intrigue and arms that filled the next four years louis on the whole gained the advantage charles of france was persuaded to give up champagne the old league was almost but never quite revived the death of charles of france in fourteen seventy two came opportunely some said too opportunely for his brother the king charles the bold who had recently established a standing army of horse and foot determined to force the game and invaded france but louis avoided any engagement and charles consumed his forces in a vain attack on bouvais he retreated without any advantage gained meanwhile brittany had been reduced to submission from that time charles ambition seemed to look rather eastwards in fourteen sixty nine he had received from sigismund of austria as security for a loan the southern part of alsace with the breisgau in fourteen seventy three after the conquest of gelders and zufen he entered on fruitless negotiations with the emperor frederick the third with a view to being crowned as king and recognized as imperial vicar in the west he even hoped to be accepted as king of the romans in fourteen seventy four he interfered in a quarrel between the archbishop of cologne and his chapter and laid siege to the little town of Neuss eleven months his army lay before this poor place imperial hosts gathered to its relief and charles was baffled meanwhile his chance of chances went by when as the result of long-continued pressure edward the fourth at length invaded france charles who had just raised the siege of Neuss, was exhausted and unable to take his part in the proposed operations edward made terms with louis and retired in the autumn fourteen seventy five charles scored his last success by overrunning lorraine at length his northern and his southern dominions were united but meanwhile his acquisitions in alsace and the breisgau had involved him in quarrels with the swiss swiss merchants had been ill-treated the mortgage provinces were outraged by the harsh rule of peter von hagenbach the duke's governor the swiss took up their quarrel instigated by french gold a revolt ensued and the swiss assisted the inhabitants to seize try and execute hagenbach in may fourteen seventy four in his camp before noyce charles received the swiss defiance soon afterwards the swiss invaded france and defeated the duke's forces near Hericot. in march fourteen seventy five pontellier was sacked and later in the same year the swiss attacked the duchess of savoy and the count de romont the duke's allies and were everywhere victorious these were insults not to be borne charles marshalled all his strength crossed the jura in february fourteen seventy six and advanced to the shore of neuchatel assaulted and captured the castle of grandson moving along the northwestern verge of the lake a few miles further he was attacked by the swiss an unaccountable panic seized his army it broke and fled all the rich equipment of charles even his seal and his jewels fell into the hands of the swiss and the duke himself fled 
at Lausanne, under the protection of the Duchess of Savoy, he reorganized his army. In May, he was ready to set forth once more against the Swiss, and especially against Bern. His route this time led him to the little town of Marat, southeast of the lake of Neuchâtel. Here he lingered for ten days in hopes to overpower the garrison and secure his communications for a further advance. But the little place whose walls still stand held out. Time was thus given for the enemy to collect. On June 21st their last contingent arrived. The next day they moved forward in pouring rain to attack. The Burgundians awaited their arrival in the neighborhood of their camp to the south of Morat. The battle was fierce, but the shock of the Swiss phalanx proved irresistible. This time the Duke's army was not only scattered but destroyed, after being driven back upon the lake. But few escaped, and no prisoners were made. Once more the Duke threw himself on the mercy of the Duchess of Savoy, whose kindness he soon afterwards ill-repaid by making her his prisoner. After a period of deep depression, bordering on insanity, Charles was roused once more to action by the news that René of Lorraine was reconquering his duchy. Nancy and other places had already fallen when Charles appeared at the head of an army. René, leaving orders to hold Nancy, retired from the province to seek aid abroad. The Swiss gave leave to raise volunteers. The King of France supplied him with money, and while Nancy still held out, René at length, in bitter weather, set out from Basel. As he approached Nancy, Charles met him with his beleaguering army to the south of the town, January 5, 1477, but the Swiss were not to be denied. Once more Charles was defeated. This time he met with his death. His vast plans, which had even included the acquisition of Provence by request from the Duke of Anjou, so, as with the control or position of Savoy, to complete the establishment of his rule, from the Mediterranean to the mouth of the Rhine, were extinguished with him. The King of France, who hitherto had left his allies to fight alone, now took up arms and occupied both the duchy and county of Burgundy, the remaining Somme towns, and Artois with Arras. But Mary, Charles' heiress, gave her hand to Maximilian of Austria, who succeeded in stemming the tide of Louis's conquest and even inflicted a defeat on him at Guinegate, 1479. Louis lost and recovered the county of Burgundy. At length, a treaty was concluded at Arras, 1482. Early in the same year, Mary had died, leaving two children. The Duchy of Burgundy was lost forever to her heirs and incorporated with the royal domain. Artois, the county of Burgundy, and some minor lands were retained by Louis as the dowry of Margaret of Burgundy, who was betrothed to the infant Dauphine. After this marriage had been finally broken off in 1491, Charles VIII restored Artois and Franc-Comte to the House of Burgundy by the Treaty of Senlis, 1493. Thus ended the great duel of war and intrigue between Louis XI and Charles the Bold. The struggle had taxed the strength of France, which had hardly yet recovered from the Hundred Years' War. But, the result was all, or nearly all, that could be wished. The old feud reappears in a new form in the rivalry of Charles V and Francis I. The danger was, however, then distinctly foreign. 
charles the bold on the other hand was still a french prince and relied on french territory and french support second but far inferior in power to the duke of burgundy came the duke of brittany duke by the grace of god his duchy was indeed more sharply severed from the rest of france by conscious difference of blood his subjects were not less warlike and of equal loyalty but his province stood alone and was not like that of charles the bold supported by other even more rich and populous territories forming part of france or of the empire the undesirable aid of england could be had for a price and was occasionally invoked but could never be a real source of strength on the other hand like burgundy brittany was exempt from royal aids and was not even bound to support the king in his wars the duke of brittany did only simple homage to the king for his duchy the homage of his subjects to their duke was without reserve he had his own court of appeal his great days for his subjects only after this court had pronounced was resort allowed to the parliament on ground of denis de justice or faux judgment brittany sent no representatives to the french states-general she had her own law her own coinage of both gold and silver in fourteen thirty eight she refused to recognize the pragmatic yet french had here since the eleventh century been the language of administration the breton youth were educated at paris or angers breton nobles rose to fame and fortune in the king's service in thirteen seventy eight jean the fourth was driven out for supporting too warmly the english cause french tastes and sympathies were thus consistent with obstinate attachment to breton independence to preserve this cherished independence the dukes maintained a long and unequal struggle charles v had attempted to annex the duchy by way of forfeiture but soon found the task beyond his powers in all the intrigues of the reign of louis the eleventh the duke of brittany was either an open or a covert foe his isolated position exposed him to the king's attacks and although at one time when allied with charles then duke of normandy his armies occupied the western half of that province the close of louis's reign showed him distinctly weaker the character of the last duke francis the second was not such as to qualify him for making the best of a bad position weak unwarlike and easily influenced he provoked a hostility which he was not man enough to meet in the intrigues against the government of anne of beaujeu during the minority of charles the eighth francis of brittany was leagued with the duke of orleans the count of angouleme reign of lorraine and other discontented princes unfortunately the duke's confidential minister landois by his corrupt and oppressive rule alienated a large part of his subjects and provoked a revolt which was supported by the court of france the duke of brittany was helpless louis of orleans who was already scheming for a divorce and an aspirant for the hand of anne of brittany could render little assistance and his undeveloped character was unequally matched with the political wisdom of madame de beaujeu english aid was hoped for but richard the third was fully occupied at home Bourbon and d'Albret, who supported the coalition, were too distant to render effective aid. Thus, the only result of the guerre folle was that Landois fell into the hands of the rebels and was hanged. The hollow peace of Beaugency and Bourges, 1485, decided nothing, but gave the government time to strengthen its position. 
henry tudor who had in the interval established himself in england was indebted to france for opportune support and protection and remembered his obligation for a time landois removed the bretons remained disunited french influence was disliked by all and annexation to france abhorred the estates of brittany february fourteen eighty six declared that the succession to the duchy belonged to the duke's two daughters in order of birth thus barring the rights of the house of penteuve which louis the eleventh had purchased in fourteen eighty but the duke's attachment to his french advisers kept in vigor the breton opposition which was forced to lean upon the court of france and hoped nevertheless by the treaty of chateaubriand fourteen eighty seven to secure the liberties of brittany for his part the duke allied himself with maximilian recently elected king of the romans who began hostilities on the northern frontier of france in the summer of fourteen eighty six and later in the same year with orleans lorraine Angoulême, orange and albrecht dunois lesson now comte de comoges and governor of guyon comines and others lent the weight of their experience and personal qualities bourbon this time stood aloof and the french government promptly threw its whole force on the southwestern powers who were forced to submit lesson was replaced in the government of guyenne by the sire de beaujeu march fourteen eighty seven the french army was then directed against brittany remaining in concert with the opposition within the duchy a desultory campaign ensued while decade acting boldly and brilliantly against maximilian in the north of france the sire de candal bougeot's lieutenant in guyenne prevented albrecht from bringing aid to francis and forced him to give hostages for good behavior the breton opposition under the sire de rohan held the northwest of the country and captured plomel the french army met with little serious resistance except at nantes where they were forced to raise their siege norman corsairs blocked the coast and the land was ravaged by friend and foe early in fourteen eighty eight the duke of orleans recovered for francis bonds Auray, and plorel rohan was forced to capitulate d'albret obtained assistance from the court of spain and joined the duke's army with five thousand men maximilian had previously sent fifteen hundred men the young french general la tremille delayed on the borders of the duchy until his forces were complete an english force landed under lord scales on the other hand the roman king was busy with rebellious flanders supported by decad and d'albret was pushing his claim to the hand of the heiress of brittany which conflicted with the hopes of maximilian and of louis de orleans at length la tremille was satisfied with his army of fifteen thousand men including seven thousand swiss and equipped with an admirable artillery he gave battle july fourteen eighty eight at saint aubin de cormier defeated the breton host and captured the duke of orleans by the peace of la vigere august the breton government pledged itself to dismiss its foreign allies and to marry the duke's daughters only with the king's consent four strong places and a substantial sum were to be given as guarantee a few days after francis the second died an amnesty was granted to delbret dunois lesson and others but the duke of orleans was kept a prisoner till fourteen ninety one as a penalty for his share in the rebellion 
francis had left the guardianship of his daughters to the marshal de rue but this was promptly claimed by the royal council the french armies advanced to take possession of the duchy foreign powers intervened alliances were concluded in february fourteen eighty nine between henry the seventh maximilian and the duchess anne ferdinand and isabel demanded the restitution of rostillon and on its refusal joined the league hereupon two thousand spaniards and six thousand english landed in brittany but the breton leaders were themselves divided rue favored the marriage proposals of delbret who was with him at nantes the english after first upholding delbret advanced a candidate of their own denois and others with whom were the young princesses opposed to delbret to whose unattractive person anne took a strong dislike rowan had hopes for one of his sons end of section thirty nine